Good evening. Russia launched a military campaign. Most of the world is calling an invasion in Ukraine. Bombs echo through cities across the country as fighting spreads. The United States and Britain impose harsh sanctions. Hundreds are arrested at anti-war protests in Russia. And in New York, is Mayor Adams really helping the homeless? With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, February 24th, 2022. And this news breaking just moments ago. Three former Minneapolis police officers have been convicted of violating George Floyd's civil rights. Tao Tao, J. Alexander King, and Thomas Lane were charged with depriving Floyd of his right to medical care when Officer Derek Chauvin pressed his knee into Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes as the 46-year-old black man was handcuffed and faced down in the streets on May 25, 2020. Tao and Lane were also charged with failing to intervene to stop Chauvin. King knelt on Floyd's back, Lane held his legs, and Tao kept bystanders back. Conviction of a federal civil rights violation that results in death is punishable by life in prison, even the death penalty, although sentences that severe are rare. And from Europe's largest war since the Second World War killed millions 80 years ago, Ukrainian forces battled Russian invaders on three sides Thursday after Moscow unleashed the biggest attack on a European state since World War II, prompting tens of thousands of people to flee their homes. The echoes of exploding bombs were heard in cities across Ukraine, a nation the size of Texas with a population of more than 40 million. Russian President Vladimir Putin declared war in a pre-dawn televised address, and the first attacks occurred within moments. He called it a special military operation. Putin also made reference to Russia's nuclear arsenal in an apparent warning to the West to stay out of the fight between the two neighboring countries. Russia and the United States are by far the world's largest nuclear weapon states. Putin said he was sending in troops to protect to protect people, including Russian citizens, he says are subject to genocide, an accusation the West calls baseless propaganda. The People's Republic of Lugansk and Donetsk need our help. They've asked for our help with this regard. From the seventh charter from the UN Charter of the Territorial Assembly on agreement on friendship and assistance with the people of Donetsk, the people of Lugansk. A decision has been made of a special military operation. Its aim is to defend the people who for eight people have eight years have put up with terrible humiliation. Our plans are not to occupy Ukraine. We do not plan to impose ourselves on anyone. Anyone who tries to be intervene, intervene, to be a threat to our country, to our people, should know that there is Russia's response will be fast and give you such consequences 
you will never face again and you faced again in your history. We're ready to use any development. Every decision can be made. Putin said he didn't plan a military occupation only to disarm Ukraine and purge it of nationalists. As night fell, a picture was emerging of fierce fighting across multiple fronts. Ukraine's government says Russian forces captured the Chernobyl former nuclear power plant just 60 miles from Kiev, and there was reported fighting outside the capital's international airport. The highway heading west out of Kiev was choked with traffic across five lanes as residents fled, fearful of bombardments while stuck in their cars. But similar clashes were reported in cities across the country. The United Nations Refugee Agency said an estimated 100,000 Ukrainians Ukrainians had fled their homes. Thousands were crossing into neighboring countries, including Romania, Moldova, Poland, and Hungary. The special monitoring mission in Ukraine, part of the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, has published summaries of fightings in regions across the country, multiple explosions, the largest amount in the Donetsk region in the eastern part of the state, where earlier this week, President Putin had declared uh, recognition of two independent countries once part of Ukraine, something that's not accepted by the Ukrainian government and one of the actions that led to the fighting that began this morning. The Secretary of uh, Secretary General of NATO is Jen Stoltenberg. He called it an act of premeditated war. ...has attacked Ukraine. This is a brutal act of war. Freedom and democracy are contested by authoritarian regimes. We must respond, North America and Europe together in NATO. The attack began last night about 10 p.m. New York time as the Security Council of the United Nations was meeting to debate the rising tensions and threats of war that have galvanized the world for weeks. But as the world body convened, they learned the Russian military was already moving in. Ukraine's ambassador to the United Nations, Sergei Kistelisa, angrily confronted his Russian counterpart. He said it was too late for de-escalation and demanded the resignation of the Russian so he could tell his bosses to stop the war. When Russian Ambassador Vasily Nebenzia curtly dismissed him, the Ukrainian said there was only one place for a war criminal. Said, relinquish your duties as a chair. Call Putin, call Lavrov to stop aggression. And I welcome the decision of some members of this council to meet as soon as possible to consider the necessary decision that would condemn the aggression that you launch on my people. There is no purgatory for war criminals. They go straight to hell, Ambassador. Sergei Kislysica is Ukraine's ambassador to the United Nations. Meanwhile, in Russia, large anti-war protests erupted in Russian cities. Protesting in Russia can be a dangerous game. It's illegal, and police are known to be tough with demonstrations. Nearly 1,400 were arrested in 51 cities. A Russian monitoring group reported 700 people were arrested in Moscow and about 340 people in the second largest city, St. Petersburg. Here are sounds from those protests in the streets of Russia, including several arrests.
Слушайте Путина, а не меня, блин. Нет, нет войны, 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 нет войны. Those are protests recorded and on Twitter throughout Russia. They've also been reported widely by Al Jazeera and other news agencies. The investigative committee, a government body that investigates major crimes, warned Russians of legal repercussions for joining unsanctioned protests related to what they called the tense foreign political situation. Meanwhile, the United States has joined Britain, France and Germany, among other nations, in sanctioning Russia and retaliating for launching the war. Germany says it's dropping the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, a victory for the United States since Russia supplies about 40 percent of Europe's energy and earns a lot from the sales. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson laid out his country's sanction plans. We will continue on a remorseless mission to squeeze Russia from the global economy piece by piece, day by day and week by week. And we will, of course, use Britain's position in every international forum to condemn the onslaught against Ukraine, and we will counter the Kremlin's blizzard of lies and disinformation by telling the truth about Putin's war of choice and his war of aggression. There can be no creeping normalization, not now, not in the months to come, not in the years ahead. We must strengthen NATO's defenses still further. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the United States also announced a second wave of sanctions on top of others already imposed. But Medea Benjamin, an activist with the anti-war organization Code Pink, says sanctioning Russia is the wrong way to go. She calls for a return to negotiations and protests in the streets to end the war. What the UK and the US are doing are, is making the situation much worse. The kind of sanctions that blanket the entire economy that are meant to isolate Russia financially will only hurt the Russian people, as well as the people of Europe who will be suffering from high energy prices. And that is not part of the solution. That's really part of the problem. Uh, I think that it was a shame that Blinken and Lavrov from the, uh, the foreign minister from uh, Russia canceled their meetings. Uh, they should be talking and we need Uh, the other countries, non-U.S. and Russia uh, uh, countries, to step up. You know, there had been efforts by Germany and France to do that, uh, but now they're falling in line with the U.S., and we need them to step out uh, and say that negotiations, diplomacy is the only answer, and let's get that moving. And we as the people of the world have to show that, which is why we're having an, a global online rally on Saturday, and it's at noon New York time with people from Russia, from Ukraine, members of parliament from the UK, Germany, France. You can sign up at the Code Pink website. Then we're calling for a week of actions, March 1st through 7th. People have to get out and say, stop the escalation. This is so dangerous. It could lead to a nuclear war between the US and Russia. And it's up to us, the people, to say that this is insane, that we have so many needs here at home that we do not want to get involved in a war that could lead to a nuclear apocalypse. Putin came close to threatening the use of nuclear weapons if any NATO country gets involved. How realistic is that and how does that affect how we deal with this? It's terrifying, absolutely. 
and how it affects us that it should get us off our butts and to say we've got to stop this from happening we've got to do everything we can do you know we don't have a lot of influence with the russian government we have more influence with our own government we have to make our own government recognize that all of these hawks in both of the parties that are calling for escalation and escalation are only making things worse you know we have to look back at the way that nato expansion has fed into this, the way that the sending of billions of dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine is fed into this, and how all of that has led us on this path of destruction. Let's not let the war hawks continue to have the day. We have to be the ones that stand up for a future for this planet and for the people of Ukraine. Let's not forget that they are the ones that are suffering, and to help them, we need to stop this war. What would... Trump had done in this situation and what do you think is the possibility of real conflict in this country of protesters let's say go out there and block trains and try and stop actually physically stop the war machine if the U.S. gets more involved in this our country is so divided that there is so much in misinformation and there's no left or right anymore it gotten to the point where you can't even talk to people on the basis of ideological leanings. It's really this lack of trust in government is so profound. And our governments have failed us. They failed to put our resources into things that people need. Uh, they failed to give people a, a decent hope for the future. They've worsened this pandemic. And there are so many ways that our governments have been failing us around the world. The escalation of the conflict in Ukraine is just one of those examples. And that is Medea Benjamin of Code Pink. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. This afternoon, President Joe Biden spoke to reporters. He also announced new sanctions targeting Russian businesses and oligarchs. But he also insisted the war was the targeting was targeting democracy. Putin chose this war and now he and his country will bear the consequences. We're also taking steps to defend our NATO allies, particularly in the East. Our forces are not and will not be engaged in the conflict with Russia in Ukraine. This is a dangerous moment for all of Europe, for the freedom around the world. Putin has committed an assault on the very principles that uphold the global peace. And as we heard earlier, President Putin in his announcement of the war, mentioned a vague nuclear threat. Biden res uh, responded to a question about that threat. I have no idea what he's threatening. I know what he has done, number one. And number two, no one expected the sanctions to prevent anything from happening. It has to show, this is going to take time, and we have to show resolve so he knows what's coming. The assault on Ukraine has focused people around the world on the dangers of a wider war in Europe, unlike any seen since the Second World War. The editor of The Nation magazine is Katrina Vanden Heuvel. She's been a reporter in on assignment in Russia, and she says whatever the rationale, Putin's invasion is a looming disaster. The Nation, which I am editorial director and publisher of, condemned the decision of Russian President Vladimir Putin in an editorial this morning. I do think what's emerged now is the importance of diplomacy. We're going to witness in this country an emboldening of the hawks and weapons mongers on all sides. We will see that in Russia as well. And in the midst of the drums of war, we're not going to 
avoids the human costs of war. And in that context, there should be planning and funding to deal with the humanitarian catastrophe, which we will see. A rush to arms and to hawkish bluster is not the way. That should not be the way. What we need is an escalation and a return to intense negotiations. For those of your listeners, they should look up the Minsk Agreement. The UN should play a role. The Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. It is possible. And what we cannot afford at this time is a nuclear war or war that could spread to President Biden, who just spoke. You know, American interest in Ukraine will never outweigh those of Russia. The U.S. and NATO cannot and will not win a war on the ground against Russia in its own backyard. And sanctions, which the president spoke most about, are unlikely to prevail and may indeed damage the American economy. We need, as progressives, not a ravaging of budgets, which should be used for pandemics and climate crisis and global inequality. We need a return to forces that will bring us to some sanity if possible. I would suggest to Biden and his administration that they facilitate the hard but necessary work of tough, persistent diplomacy that is being and was undertaken by our allies in Paris and Berlin. Is there a role for the public in this for anti-war? Yes, there are protests, but there's also letting your congressman, letting your senator know, and also in your local community. If you have a city council that's open to initiatives, it does not need to be end the war in Ukraine, but it does need to be peace, not war, save budgets for our needs. And there are groups that are doing that. Code Pink is active. Roots Action is active. The nation.com will have steps to take for those who seek an end to war and a return to sanity. My colleagues in Moscow, where I worked over the years as a journalist, one of the leading independent newspapers, Novaya, N-O-V-A-Y-A, Gazeta, G-A-Z-E-T-A, go online. Its editor won the Nobel Peace Prize at the end of last year, and it has a statement that could be circulated, which is about Russian opposition to this war. I would suggest allying with Russian who oppose this war, finding groups in your community, and just trying to find all the information you can and be active in your communities. It's amazing to see like houses, like not just huts, but houses burning and things like that. There have been these comparisons to World War II and Hitler gets brought up. It's more like World War I. It's been a sort of blunder into this and it's the conditions of war, at least in the eastern Ukraine, are going to be those that of trenches, gun to gun. But it really has this feel, and we'll see it when refugees flee across borders of World War One, World War Two, of a different era. It's very tragic. And that is Katrina Vanden Heuvel of The Nation magazine. In local news. The weekend after Mayor Eric Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul announced a plan to address safety concerns on New York City's subways that focus on stopping homeless people from sheltering in the system, at least eight violent incidents took place in stations and on trains, but only one of them involved an attacker who even appeared to be homeless. As a matter of fact, one of the victims was a homeless person. But the mayor, that didn't stop the mayor from doubling down on his plan to clean up the world's largest public transportation system by directing thousands of homeless people to shelters or the streets, especially after the murder of 35-year-old Christina Yuna Lee, apparently by a deranged unhoused person in Chinatown. Her alleged murderer, Asamad Nash, 25, was reportedly living at the Bowery Mission just five blocks away. Although neither 
Bail reform or anti-Asian violence was linked to the brutal killing. In fact, it seemed to be linked to mistakes made by judges and other prosecutors in the case. The mayor has made it a touchstone of his homeless policy. Morning signs. What should we have looked for? How are we empowering those who are at the homeless shelters to also give us the warning signs? Maybe the place is not a homeless shelter. That person may need to be one of our, in one of our psychiatric facilities. That's the mayor. But activists say Adams is repeating the mistakes of past mayors by making homelessness, mental illness and crime poster issues for failed policies. Jacqueline Simone is policy director for the Coalition for the Homeless. Although Mayor Adams' plan does acknowledge the need for more low-barrier shelters like safe havens and stabilization beds, as well as the need to streamline access to supportive housing and expand mental health services, we're concerned that it has an over-reliance on policing and criminalization strategies. And in fact, we've seen in the first few days of the plan that police have been surged into the system and they're really just forcing people to move from one place to another because they don't actually have the resources yet to offer people a better place to go. So it does seem like more of the same policing-based strategies that other mayors have tried for many decades. Why can't they come up with anything that actually works? The fundamental reason that people sleep in the trains is because they feel they have no better place to go. And if the city wants to reduce the number of unsheltered New Yorkers, they should ensure that people have safe indoor places where they can go instead of sleeping on the trains and on the streets. Unfortunately, that takes resources, and it's much more politically easy to send cops into the subways to push uh, people out of sight as opposed to addressing the root causes of why people are bedding down in the trains in the first place. It will take some time for the city to bring online new low-barrier shelters and to expand the supply of deeply subsidized, affordable, and supportive housing. But in the interim, the city is taking the easy way out by pushing people out of sight through policing-based strategies, and that's not actually going to address the root causes of homelessness. Look at the case in the one in Chinatown. The person was released because they shouldn't have released him. He, he, was, he had violated all the bail strictures. He should have been in jail. Yet we hear mentally ill, mentally ill, mentally ill. Is that mm -hmm. the, the, just a catch-all for politicians? Yeah, I think it is very politically expedient to conflate the issues of homelessness and mental illness and violence. That does a disservice to the tens of thousands of New Yorkers who are without homes and just need stable housing. When it comes to public safety, a society that meets people's basic needs and gives everyone the foundation of stable housing will be a safer society. But we also need to resist the urge to vilify people who are struggling or to make assumptions about people who are homeless or people with mental illness as all being violent because of a few tragic examples. The government must do far more to ensure that people have the stable housing and ready access to mental health services that people need in order to succeed. Grade the mayor, A to F, how's he doing on the homeless issues? I think it's it's a little bit too early to say, right? It's only several weeks into the administration. I will say that much of the attention that the mayor has had on homelessness lately has been focused on unsheltered people. And we haven't really heard much about his plans for how to help people who are in shelters. There are tens of thousands of New Yorkers who are in city shelters every night. 
And I think it is very concerning that the mayor's budget that was announced last week did not follow through on his campaign promise to increase the funding for housing. We know that housing is the answer to homelessness, and we were encouraged that on the campaign trail, Mayor Adams committed to doubling the amount of housing capital. But when he released his preliminary budget last week, we saw that he maintained housing capital funds as flat based on what his predecessor's most recent budget was. So if we actually want to give people a safer indoor place to go and help people move off the streets as well as out of shelters, we need to have a more robust investment in permanent housing. Jacqueline Simone is policy director of the Coalition for the Homeless. And finally, LGBTQ lawmakers and activists brought rage to Mayor Adams' doorstep today as they gathered outside City Hall to to protest the mayor's decision to hire three men with histories of anti-gay views for high-profile jobs in his administration. The demonstration, which was held in City Hall Park and involved nearly 100 people, marked a culmination of weeks of anger over Adams' appointment of Fernando Cabrera, Eric Salgado, and Guilford Monroe's Christian pastors in Brooklyn and the Bronx, who have used homophobic and anti-gay rhetoric. Brooklyn Councilman Chi Ose said, referencing Cabrera's praise for the Ugandan government's harsh anti-gay laws during a visit to the country in 2014, The tax dollars of LGBTQ New Yorkers are about to begin paying the salary of a man who's waged war on our rights and dignity at home and travel abroad to applaud our imprisonment and death. Added OC, men like this taking positions of public authority are reflective of a broader disregard and even disdain for the LGBTQ community. Adams, who's behind closed doors inside City Hall during the protest, defended the hires by noting that Cabrera and Salgado issued statements apologizing for their past remarks after being appointed to faith and immigrant outreach positions earlier this month. And that's some of the news for Thursday, February 24th, 2022. The news producer Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.